Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, today we're going to be doing kind of a uh, reverse message today. Uh, One of my favorite classes in undergrad was different styles of preaching. And one of my, uh, we went through different ways to do it, different uh, angles to take, different um, just formats. There's not one way that works and one way that doesn't. It just depends on the the, the type and the personality. Um, Not everybody's funny. uh, And not everybody can do the really, really serious down to earth, you know, I've always loved the, the styles of like the T.D. Jakes who could just talk about drinking a glass of water and people get saved. And I don't know, it's his voice, it's his cadence, it's how he does everything. You're, you're sobbing. And he was just talking about going to the water fountain and you have no idea why. Nothing spiritual, it's just an anointing on his life. His style is way different. Some people are absolutely hilarious and you don't realize that you're getting the gospel until it's too late and you're getting saved. Some people tell very, very heart moving stories and different styles. And today is different most of the time, just, and you guys have probably figured out how I I communicate. A lot of times it's, you have an idea that God gives you. Uh, You explain said idea. You get people to buy into said idea. And then you try to do some applicational steps to move the ball forward. Y'all understand? Uh, Like, you know, this past couple of weeks, we've been talking about not quitting. So we talked about why we don't quit. The idea of it, there's too much on the line. We talked about five ways not to quit. We keep moving that, moving that ball forward, give you something home to take about. Today, we're doing the exact opposite. Uh, we're quitting. No. Uh, today, we're doing the exact opposite. What we're going do- <laughs> to be doing is I'm going to give you two points without the message up front, and then we'll back it up a little bit. So point number one that we have to realize is this, and this is the first thing that you have to get to, and if you're taking notes, this is one of the most important things in your entire life, and that is this, at the core of your soul one thing must be settled. At the core of your soul, one thing has to be settled. Uh, It is not the ability to be healed or to perform miracles. It's not the, uh, a, a way of evangelizing with eloquence. It's not this whole idea of memorization of the word and having the ability to quote everything from Genesis to Revelation without having to ever look at the Bible. One thing that must be settled in your soul, is that he is for me. That has to be everything that you're doing. He is for me. He is the one that is for you in the good times. When everything that you do, hey, tell I'm switching mics. When everything that you do is fantastic, and every time you head to work, that every time you drive down the road, you're finding yourself in a spot where every single green light hits you exactly perfectly. He's for you when you go to work and you fall asleep and you still get a raise. He's for you when everything is lining up perfectly for your relationships, when even your enemies are buying you gifts. He's for you in the good times when you eat chocolate cake and lose five pounds. Can you imagine? How about we step at it? He's for you when you eat chocolate cake, lose five pounds, your enemy's eating salad, and they gain five pounds. Like he's for you in all seasons and all times. Can I tell you, he's also for you when everything falls apart. He's for you when it feels like hell is on all sides, front, back, center. 
He's for you in every step you feel like may be your last step and everything you do feels like you're walking on thin ice. He's, he's for you when you make mistakes. He's not for your mistakes, but he's still for you when you make mistakes. He's for you when you bought milk last night for breakfast and you open it up and you realize it's already curled. Y'all been that before. There's nothing that, you go to Walmart, you do an online order, and I'm not picking on Walmart, it can be anywhere, and you get it home and you open it up, and you're like, this has expired two weeks ago. He's for you when you work 80 hours and get paid for. He's for you when you seems like your spouse and your kids are against you. He's for you when it seems like everybody is coming up against you. When your mama hates you, God is for you. He's also for you in the in-betweens. See, not everything is always, everything I touch is absolutely amazing. Not everything I do is always falling apart, but typically we live in the in-betweens. You know what I'm talking about? Not every day is Friday night where you get paid and you're having a lot of fun, and not every day is on Wednesday when you're thinking about finding a new job. It's that, it's that Tuesday afternoon when everything is just average. When you're on your way to work and you're getting in stuck in traffic, but you have an opportunity to listen to your favorite podcast, he's for you. He's for you in the in-between when you're not, when you get yelled at by your boss first thing in the morning, but by midday you guys are joking around. He's for you when you get home and your kids don't want to hang out with you, but your spouse does. And it's that in-between where it wasn't an amazing day and it wasn't a horrible day. He's for you in the in-betweens. You have to find yourself settling right now that God is for you. He's for you in all seasons and all walks of life. If we can't not only smile at the idea as a Facebook post or a bumper sticker post that God's for me, but actually make that the core of your life, you will never be the same again. You can believe that God, that Jesus is the Son of God and died for your sins, but if you don't believe that he is for you, you will always wonder if you're one mistake away from losing it. Isn't that a horrible place to be? Are you saved? I hope so. That's torturous. We live our lives in continual communication and relationship with God, continually checking our relationship with God, but you're not meant to live life as if one day he is for you and the next day he hates you. God never hates you. He never hates you. He despises sin in your life, but he never hates who you are. You can pray the most wonderful sounding prayers that man has ever heard, but if God is not for you, then you're never connecting with power. It's like flipping a light switch when the breaker's off. You're doing a lot of energy, but nothing's taking place. Even when others are against you, he's for you. When your family is against you, he's for you. When life is against you, he's for you. He's for you enough to correct you. That's a fun topic. He's for you enough to convict you. He's for you enough to tell you no when you want him to tell you yes. He's for you in all these things. I remember my dad one time telling me he wanted my truck keys back. It wasn't like a, hey, can I borrow your truck? It was, give me your truck. He did this because I may or may not have had a few tickets and accidents in a very short amount of time. The details are fuzzy. There's two opinions on the topic. 
<laughs> but I think we can at least bare minimum agree on two tickets and two wrecks in like six months. It's a medium ground, Dad. That's All right, we'll do three and three then. All right, we'll go with the difference. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. In fact, um, uh, I, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a bad run. It was a really, really bad run. And it wasn't like these horrible car flipping over life, but, you know, fender here, bumper there, side panel there. It happens. One, two, three. I said, I'm just... Happy medium. Happy medium. A couple of rolling through stop signs, a couple of tickets. Something like that. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. God forgives. Dad doesn't know. Um, yeah, Dad doesn't forget. So Dad tells me, give me your truck keys. Um... He took my truck keys because he hated me. Right? No. He took something that I wanted because he loved me. And he realized I love him enough to protect him from himself. When God says no a lot of times, it's to protect you from what things you can't see. I'm 16 years old, and I know everything about everything. Um, the, you know, Mr. Carter's our, our principal this year, and he sees these eighth graders are just more intelligent than he is. And it's incredible to see how quickly kids get intelligent. And I was 16, and I think my dad was uh, carry the four. Um, at the time, I think he would have been 54. We're going to go with that, just because I want to sound younger. Um, and... Uh, and I thought I knew. I thought I knew everything about how to drive. And I've been driving for a whole year with my mom, obviously, Dad. And he took it from me because he loves me. God takes things, says no to things, because he sees things the way that you don't see things. But the absence of what you want is not the absence of his love to you. In fact, it could be the exact opposite. If my dad hated me, he'd have gotten me a faster truck. If he hated me, he would have said, my dude, we're going to put some nitrous in that sucker and we're going to see what it can do. If he hated me, he would have pushed me in my weakness to go faster and harder. Would I have had fun until I died? Or taken somebody else down? One of the things that was not my fault. Okay, there was a... I don't even know if he knows this story. I'm sure he does. I, I, I'm running late for, work, for school, so I guess it was my fault. Uh, I'm going late for school. We lived in Slapout. Uh, there was two ways to get there. You could take, you know, the good paved way, or Fast and Furious came out. You could take the dirt roads and drift. I took the ladder. I mean, obviously, I'm going to drift. So I'm, I'm going, womp, womp, truck goes sideways, and I straighten it back out. Everything, I'm taking the turns. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Bill, you would have been impressed. No ditches that I hit. Just hit it all perfectly. And I'm, as I'm going, I'm seeing these kids. They're waving. I'm like, hey, kids, what's up? And out of a sudden, boom! Er, Slam my car out. Kids, mouths wide open. 
I hop out, and I'm like, what the heck was that? And I look out, and their dog is stuck under my car. I know. I was there. And uh, I, they weren't waving at me because they were watching me drift. They were waving at me because their dog was coming across the field, running towards them, waiting for the school bus. And I owned it. I owned it so much it got stuck under my truck. The kids scream, naturally. This dude comes out of the trailer, and I thought, I'm dead. I just killed this guy's dog in front of his kids. Huge guy. He looks at it, looks at me, he goes, your truck all right? I went, I think so. He goes, y'all get a shovel. Dig this, <laughs> dig, dig, dig this dog out this guy's fender. So they're waiting for the school bus, digging out their dog, sobbing out of my truck. And I'm like, I cannot believe this is happening. You know, what was crazy is I never drove fast again on that road because my recklessness ruined somebody else's life. That was, you know, probably 20 some odd years ago, and I've never forgotten it to this day. And a lot of times God says no to protect you from yourself and to protect others from you. He says no because he loves. The second thing we have to do is this, is we have to agree with God, hear me out, that you are someone that should be loved. The first thing is that settle with your core beliefs that he is for you. Secondly, that you should be loved. Finding your self-worth of love is not prideful, nor is it haughty. The Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave, and God isn't foolish, nor is he unwise. He did give because he valued you. Now, hear me out. His love does not mean we did not deserve judgment. My dad loved me enough to judge upon me no more truck. And God loves you enough and loves his, his community enough to separate himself from sin. That's what he does. But the separation of sin does not mean that you are devalued and in the love and the eyes of God. That's the big difference. We have to realize when someone is living a life of sin, we have to separate the value that they are to God with the sin that they have been committing. We never devalue in our eyes nor in the eyes of God another human being because they aren't living the way we think they should be living. That is the work of the enemy. The enemy's job and his big thing is to tell you that you aren't good enough, that you are a nothing, that you have nothing, and then he wants to use his people, God's people, to communicate that language. And that's one of the most painful things that we see is that the sin has to be separate from the sinner because God still loves. It does not mean that we don't deserve our, because of our fallen nature, because of the choices that we don't deserve judgment, but it does mean we are still loved by God. Are y'all with me? Separate that today. In fact, what we have to realize is this Hebrews 12, 6 says, the Lord loves those he disciplines. He loves you enough to spank you behind sometimes. But when you find yourself in a spot that you are unlovable and you do not deserve to be loved, you are living your life in direct opposition of what God says. 
God does not get glory at any point in your life when you realize, when you begin to go this, I'm a no good, dirty dog that's worth nothing. He gets no glory from that. He does not like that. Because if God says that you are loved and you say, no, I'm not, you are living with discord between you and God. Are you, are you hearing what we're going with? And one of the greatest enemy things that the enemy has tricked the church to believe is, God loves me, but he doesn't want to. He just tolerates me. He loved Jesus. Jesus made the decision. It's like when your kid marries somebody you don't like, and you're like, you see your kid walk in, you see your daughter walk in, your son walk in, and you're like, hey! And then they come in with their other, and you're like, hey, you, so glad you made it. But they're tagging along with something you love. A lot of times we believe that that's how our relationship is with the Father. Jesus walks in, God's super excited. He says, hey, I brought some friends. And he goes, hey, them. I mean, I love you, Jesus, so I guess I have to love your friends too. That's not how it is. That's not it at all. For God so loved you that he gave. God put value on who you are. And he gets no glory from any of us at any given time saying that he's a liar. I'm not worth God's love is looking at God going, you made a mistake and you're a liar. And anybody who lives a life where they're in constant discord with what God is trying to do will never find themselves fulfilling the destiny that God has for them. Okay. Number one, God is for you. Number two, you are, and you have to catch this. You have to catch this, that you believe that even though you have made mistakes and deserve judgment, you still deserve to be loved by God. Because here's where everything ties in. Second Timothy chapter one. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, I did not give Matthew the, the, the stuff. So Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven. We're going, to go, we're going to go with this, or Josh, Matthew or Josh. I didn't give the second row anything. So Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God has not given you a spirit of fear. That word spirit is pneuma. It's the same as breath. When God breathed on man, when God breathed his spirit on you, when the breath of the Holy Spirit is poured upon you, it's the pneuma. It's his breath. He transferred his breath into the clay called Adam that breathed new life. God's breathing. This is something living. This is something that is moving. God did not give you an active spirit of fear, but one of power, of love, and a sound mind. This is a dreadful spirit, a person who loses their moral gumption or fortitude. It's someone that is, is constantly faint-hearted. They're coward. They are constantly fearful of losses. They have excessive amount of dread. They have fear. These are the Greek words that mean this keyword here, fear. God has not given you dread. Can I tell you, there is, an, there is a huge difference between having an experience in fear and being controlled by a spirit of fear. It's 2 a.m., you're dead asleep, something comes crashing. How many of you guys wake up just worshiping? Your heart races, your senses get alerted, 
your blood pressure rises, you're wondering what's going on. Can I tell you, most of the time, that's not a happy feeling. Whether it's a cat, dog, or a burglar, that's not a happy feeling, whatever it is. That would be called fear. Natural fear is something that God gave us for protection in a lot of ways. The Bible tells us it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing something is different than living perpetually in fear. An event in fear is circumstantial, and we can be afraid, but once the event passes, fear leaves. Are y'all with me? I've told the story before, but when I was running um, out and uh, up past my parents' house, uh, I heard a dog barking. I, I was not happy that I was being chased by a Rottweiler. I wasn't singing the praises of the Lord. My heart said, you better run, white boy. I mean, you better figure out something, a whole new gear, because that dog's coming after you. Fear took over. Fear got me to run, I would dare say, Division I scholarship speed. For 15 milliseconds, but still, it was there. Until, on the way home, I realized I got to fight in this thing again, and I picked up a broom handle, and I was going to beat it over his head. Then I no longer was afraid. I was ready for a fight. I was looking for that thing. How could it scare me twice? I never stopped running. I didn't look at that and be like, I was chased by one dog. Now I'm scared to run for the rest of my life. As if I'm at the gym running and a dog's going to hop on the treadmill with me and chase me down. No. See, what happens, though, is that a spirit of fear is a controlling thing. It's not an event-driven it's a life-driven thing. A lot of times we have had this thought where I was afraid of something. Something took place in my life. I dealt with fear. I was out of the will of God. And that's not the case. But a spirit of fear is one that controls, and it is never satisfied, ever satisfied. It wants to control every aspect of your life. Remember the child who kept throwing himself in the fire? The dad said, we've done everything we can. Jesus walks out, casts out a spirit, and the boy was in his right mind. How about the demoniac that was sitting uh, in, in the graveyard, cutting himself, screaming. They tried to shackle him, but he kept breaking him through. Jesus shows up. Jesus casts the spirit out. The, 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 the pigs run off the cliff, and it says, and he was in his right mind. A lot of times... And I would dare say every time when an opposing spirit is involved in your life, it is one that is controlling whether or not you are in your right mind or not. Have you ever had that idea or know somebody who perpetually has very unrealistic thoughts and fears? Because what happens in our lives is a spirit of fear determines when you leave the house and when you don't. A spirit of fear will determine whether or not you go to a family reunion or stay locked up in your closet with the lights turned off. A spirit of fear will determine the jobs you take, the dates you have, the friends you have. It will determine everything from what you wear to what's going on and involved in your life, to the TV shows you watch, to the books you read, to whether or not you're going to go out to eat. A spirit of fear will control every aspect of your life when it wants to. And if you've ever dealt with that, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Because there are things you want to do, but you can't. There are places you want to go, but you can't. 
You have all intentions of going out to eat with your friends and with your family, and you get dressed, and you're doing your thing, but all of a sudden, something grips your heart, and you begin to panic, and you go, I just can't do it, and you withdraw. It determines what you do, and it's heartbreaking to see that. Uh, I was talking with mom on the way to the funeral, and uh, hey, mom, if you don't want me to share this, then tell me no. Good. Um, we're on our way. I gave her an opportunity. We were on our way to the funeral, and we were discussing what the spirit of fear does. And she says, you know, Pete, I used to deal with the spirit of fear. She said, I did. She said, I would be that person that when we would go in an elevator, my mind would go, it's going to break this time. I'll take the stairs. If you're going to go and, and do a zip lining, her mind would go, even though a thousand people have gone through it, down at the end, the wires are probably fraying, and it's going to snap on me. Even though the airplane's been checked hundreds of times, the wings are going to fall off because I got on. If I'm not driving, something bad is going to take. And what was taking place with my mom was she was realizing that the spirit of fear was telling her that if she wasn't in control, something bad was going to take place. And I said, so what would you do? She said, I just wouldn't do it. And I said, don't you see how ironic that is? That you have a spirit of fear that wants to control you, and it's all about you being in control, so you allow it to make the decisions for you. You give another thing the power to control you because you're afraid to be in control. She kind of sat there, she goes, that's hilarious. That's exactly what it was. I need to be in control so much, I'm going to let the spirit of fear control my life. And she said, I got to this place where, Pete, I realized God loves me or he doesn't. I got to this place in my life where I went, he's either for me or he's not. She said, I got to this place where I realized 100 out of 100 people die, and we don't get to determine when. But one thing that I can do is I can determine to take my life back. And I'm not going to allow something to control my life every second of every day. Many people don't find themselves stuck in isolation of fear, but they do their best to mask it. The anxiety is there, and they just push through. They're not enjoying their season. They're not enjoying their time. They're going to grit their teeth and make it happen, but they're living tormented all the time. Their head's on a swivel. They're always wondering what's going on. They're never settled. There's never peace. I'm here to tell you that God does not give you that spirit. In this season of October where everything is trying to scare you perpetually, I realize that most of us aren't afraid of Freddy Krueger or Jason. Most of us aren't fearful of gremlins or goose, uh, goose, goose, if you're afraid of it. You know what? I'm more afraid of geese than I am gremlins. I'm going to be honest with you. You go to Prattville Park, them things are mean. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You're, you're enjoying your life and they just attack. Things are mean. I had a traumatic experience in Caneland with a, with a uh, no, it wasn't like, was it the swan? A peak, the peacock got me. That's what it was. That's a, that's a beautifully mean animal. And I was a child, and I'm in a fist fight with a peacock. Explain that to your counselor. <laughs> no, I don't like them. I see the feathers, and they're like, oh, beautiful. And I snap it in half. I'm like, yeah, not today, peacock. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> and so, you know, you know, people aren't afraid of these things that are perpetuated as much on television 
as they are driving down the road, as they are going out to eat, as they are what's taking place on a Sunday service. The Bible tells us that perfect love casts out fear. The opposite of fear is not faith, but love. And hear me out before you start casting stones. You cannot outfaith your fear. If everything I'm doing is rooted and grounded out of fear, it means that I'm not rooted and grounded in love, and therefore I am burning energy, but I'm gaining no momentum. You can't outfaith fear. You have to love through it. Memorization of Scripture out of a basis of trying to quote, outquote fear is like having a dialogue with the enemy trying to outquote him. The enemy knows the more Bible than you do. And you want to get into a debate, you're going to lose. But if everything that you do is grounded in, I am loved and I deserve to be loved by God, therefore when sickness is there, by your stripes I'm healed out of love, that's where your faith is fighting that fear. If everything that I do is I am loved, I deserve to be loved, therefore everything my hands touch will prosper, that's grounded out of love. I am loved. I deserve to be loved. I'm in right relationship with God. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ. What happens a lot of times is that we see ourselves and we see a mountain and we're just going gonna to speak to it because we're afraid of the mountain. Not out of fear. Not out of love, but out of fear. And a lot... Uh, One thing that has bothered me for my entire life, and it's not my parents because they have an exact opposite approach to this. They are finding themselves in love. They have found themselves grounded in love. They have found themselves operating under his grace and his mercy. But I've seen a lot of people on television or people that I know that have been speaking with their mouth the idea of faith, but they are the most fearful individuals I've ever met in my life. You know what I'm talking about. Just because you can quote faith verses doesn't mean that you are operating out of faith. Because if you don't have the foundation of God is love, he loves me and I'm worth love, and I, and I can operate in that peace, then everything you're doing is building on sand and the enemy's going to push it over every single time. Because if all I'm doing is operating out of fear, I can quote all the verses in the Bible, everything that I have, and then you have one circumstance and you go, it's not worth it. It was wrong. I memorized all of Romans, but I'm still here. I've quoted, I've spoken, I've given, I've sowed. But it was all out of fear. You know, the enemy's okay with you giving your time, your resources, and your energy as long as you're afraid. I'm going to give because whew, I don't want God mad at me. That's for sure. That's based out of fear. A lot of Christians do good things for God, but it's not for God, it's for fear. I'm doing because I'm afraid. I'm doing it not because I love or am loved. 
in, in, in the near future, pastor's going to be doing this small group on, on finances. And I loved it. He, you guys are going to have to jump on this. It's going to be beautiful. It's, on, it's going to be on a Wednesday night. Um, I hate that I'm having youth at the same time, but he and I get one-on-one conversations. It's going to be fantastic. But he's sitting there walking through, and I'm not trying to, to give away too much, but he's walking through Malachi 3.10. Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Therefore, you are now cursed with a curse. And for the longest time in my life, I thought that meant if I don't sow, God adds curses onto my life. And he brings it back to Genesis 3, and he goes, Pete, at the fall, you had to work with the sweat of your brow. That was the curse. And as long as you are continually operating out of fear and not sowing and not giving and not tithing, you're stuck in that Genesis 3. By your own hands, you're stuck. But if you can break free of that, and if our people can realize that God is love, and in him is love, you not only get what you're working for with your own hands, but he also adds on the windows of heaven in ways that are beyond what you're working for. And there's so many people that are over here going, well, if I don't sow, I'm going to get leprosy. And that's not what he's saying. He goes, you're just going to be stuck to Genesis 3. You're going to be stuck in that old way. That's the best you can get is about what you do with your own hands. That's fear. But if you understand he is love, he opens the windows and drops it. He does be, you have what you work for and some because of love. That's totally different paradigm shifts. God's not taking from you. He's continually giving to you because he is love. But one thing that I've realized is that as long as we are living in fear and we are controlled by fear, we limit our resources to the same thing we just talked about, our own actions and our own hands. Because if I'm partnering with the enemy in fear, I'm not operating in the blessing. I can quote the blessing verses, but I'm still living in fear. You ever done a a school project on a foreign nation? Whether it was Germany or France or maybe it was South Africa or something, and you had to do all this research about a nation you never visited? Recently, my son just did this big project in, in fifth grade uh, about koalas. And he starts naming off all of these things about koalas. He studied koalas. Can I tell you? Ask Malachi about koalas. He'll break it down for you. He's never actually physically seen a koala outside of television. And that's where we are so many times is that we can tell you a lot about the faith. We can quote a lot of great things about faith. We can tell you a lot of good things that God wants to do in other people's lives, but we're stuck here in fear, studying somebody else's reality. And it's vain faith. Fear becomes a prison. In Genesis 3.8, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord among the trees because they were afraid. Fear wants you to leave his presence and go into your own mind. And the crazy thing is this, a mind full of fear is not a person in their right mind. You ever been stuck in your thoughts? Stuck in torment? All the scenarios that have gone on through your head? That every time that you go to a gas station, it happens to be the one where Al-Qaeda shows up? 
a bad thing takes place in Maryland, you live in Wisconsin, it's going to be here too tomorrow. I'll never forget the countless amount of people I talked to, gosh, this is probably what, seven years ago where there was a, a, a movie theater shooting um, at the Batman, oh, seven years ago, it had been longer, the Batman premiere with the Joker. And the ticket sales plummeted because people were afraid to go to movies for months because of one man's action in a state hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Because now it's, it's going to happen to me. I'm that one. How self-centered is that? You ever notice how fear makes you self-centered? I'm the one that's going to get cancer. I'm the one that's going to get sick. I'm the one that's going to lose the job. I'm the one that's going to get broke down. I'm going to buy a good car. It's going to be a lemon. I'm going to get rejected. I, 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 I. Fear makes your world so small that you're the only person in it and the only person that can see it. And everybody outside is the enemy, including God. Adam and Eve hid themselves. <laughs> can I tell you, the devil doesn't care if he dares you or scares you into sin. There's a lot of us that are dared into, that are scared into sin more than we're dared. I believe that the, the masses are more scareful sinners than they are rebellious ones. You ever seen a young lady who's living her life right for God, loved God with everything she is? And then all of a sudden, uh, she starts dating a guy that's kind of a loser. I don't know why I'm looking at Heidi and Rusty. So I'm, I'm over here, sorry for a second. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm making eye contact. You know what I mean, Heidi? And she's like, yep, I get it. No. <laughs> I don't know why you're nudging him. Jeez. Yeah, no. Uh, and, and then she's now no longer involved in church, and she's doing things that she wouldn't have done two months ago, three months ago. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you're sitting there like, man, I guess she just has always had that rebellious streak. You know what the vast majority of the time is? It's fear. She hasn't had somebody love her. This guy is now filling that love box. And he is now saying, if you love me, you will do X, Y, and Z. And she's now fearful of losing that love, so she's now entering into sin. Is it wrong? A thousand times over, yes. But how many times do we find ourselves fearful into sin, or scared into sin, then dared into sin? This whole idea of an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other one is like, you know what you should do? You should blah. And you're like, no, I'm not going to go run somebody off the road. But you know what you will do? You'll pull back. Here's how it works. You believe in sowing. You believe in tithing. You believe in all the things that God has said. And then all of a sudden you read a, a, a market report that causes fear. So you pull back and you stop giving. You're fearful into, do you believe in it a hundred times over? Absolutely, tithing's important. Tithing's great. It's a blessing. You gotta do it. And then what happens is that we get scared into something. I wanna worship with all my heart. I wanna be exuberant. I wanna raise my hands. I wanna sing. I wanna clap. I wanna dance before the Lord. But what are they gonna think? And fear causes us to pull back. Fear causes us to fall into sin more than rebellion does. 
Absolutely. If you, even if you watch like the next 24, you know, one of those crazy shows where for some reason cops only have, or 48 hours, 48 hours to solve a murder, as if on the 49th hour they're like, it was a good try. Made for effort. Next! They got 48 hours. They're doing their thing. They're, they're, they're air finding, and they catch the guy they're interviewing. You know what's funny? Most of the time they're like, you know what? Absolutely. I've been thinking about this for years. But what happens is, is, yeah, I went into Rob because I couldn't eat. And then somebody came around the corner, and I thought they saw me, and I was afraid I was going to go to jail. I pulled the trigger, and it's this one thing after another after another that creates this downturn cycle. And this is what happens in our lives, is that fear causes us to continue to make choices in sin and get deeper and deeper and deeper to a place where you go, see, I knew I wasn't lovable from the beginning. Most of us don't worship unrestricted because it's not biblical. We're fearful of other people's opinions. And so then we pull back and then we try to use verses to justify our fear. Oh, you know, I mean, yeah, tithing's a good idea, but you know, it's, a, it's an Old Testament thing. I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I, I was somebody who believed in, in healing and miracles, signs and wonders, but you know, at the same time, it didn't work for me, so... God picks and chooses. It's not for everyone. I used to sing like that. You're cute. I used to be passionate like that. I used to worship like that. But then I became mature and realized that's just not how it needs to be done. And I can't tell you how many times, me personally, I have begun to fall or pull back from the things of God out of fear, and then I'll do my best to justify my fear with church verses. Because I want to pull back and justify. I don't want to look at myself and go, Pete, you're afraid. You're just full of fear, dude. Do what God's called you to do. No. I had to make an excuse. It was somebody else's fault. I can't move on because of somebody else, because of their thoughts, because of their decisions, because of whatever. No. No. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love. Those cause a sound mind. The way you live life without fear is to live in a perfected version of love. And that means this. He's with you in all seasons and you're worth it. You want to cast down the spirit of fear? That's not why just quoting verses. It's finding yourself in love with God and loved by Him and now looking at that thing going... He won't let that happen because he loves me. The enemy may fire a million fiery darts at me, but they're not going to come near me because he loves me. I may be struck. I may be bled. I may be bleeding. I may have problems, but I will overcome this through the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony because he loves me. A thousand may fall at one side and 10,000 on the other, and there are plagues all around. And you know what? I may have a sniffle, and I may have a sneeze, and I may have a symptom, and I may have a, I may have a diagnosis, but he loves me. Therefore, by his stripes, I am healed. There are millions of things that are taking place that the enemy wants to make you afraid of because he wants you in your world. He wants to isolate you. But God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. We move forward in the things of God. We evangelize because of love. I'm going to close with this. There's two comedians, Penn and Teller, that were really, really crazy. Funny. 
they did, they did uh, magicians and they were comedians and it was great. Well, this guy, this businessman had VIP passes and he shows up to the end of their show. He gives him a Bible, writes in it, and, and one of the guys, I think it was Teller go, or Penn goes, hey, you know, I, I, I'm, I am agnostic. I don't believe any, I'm an atheist. I don't believe any of this. And he goes, you may not, but I, I, I'm just letting you know, I am proselytizing a little bit. I'm trying to tell you that things are God because I believe in it, yada, yada. And he said, he kind of made light of it. And he was making a joke of it. And he gives me this Bible as just a haphazard thing. And he said, and I stopped him and I said, do you really believe in all of this? And the guy goes, well, yes, sir, I do. He goes, then how much do you have to hate me to not tell me about it. Because if you believe that I'm going to die and burn in hell, how much do you hate me to be like, hi, fun? How much do you hate me to not tell me the truth? How much do you hate me to not be honest about my condition and my soul? He says, well, I was just, I was nervous. I was scared to give it to you. I didn't know what you'd say. See, the world looks at you and goes, you believe this stuff? But you're allowing fear to tell you to hate me enough to not tell me. It's a tragic place to be in. Love other people enough to look at your left and look at your right and go, you need this because I love you. I am loved, I have been loved, and you're loved, and I want to bring you home to a place where you can be loved. Love people enough to overcome fear. Because perfected love casts out fear. We're going to pray. God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that in this season of craziness, of, of Halloween, of everything else that's been put before our eyes, everything, it seems like every day is Halloween on the news. But God, I just thank you that right now we can go forward and we can live life unrestricted, unrefrained, un, uh, unabashed about everything. Because God, you are love and you love us intently and on purpose. We are worth love, God, not because we have deserved it, not because we have jumped through hoops, not because we have earned it, but because you have bestowed it upon us. And God, right now, I just thank you that as we are speaking and we're going through this, that anybody who is continually dealing with a spirit of fear, where they can't make a decision and they can't move forward, they can't do all the things that you've called them to do, that God, right now, you begin to infuse them with love, with grace, with peace, and that God, even today, they take bold steps forward into understanding that they are loved. They're loved in their sin, and they're loved in the mess. They're loved when they make mistakes, and they're loved when they hit home runs. They are loved in all seasons and all walks of life, and no matter what they have done and what they have decided to do, that God, you are full of love for them, and that they are worth the love that you are giving them. So today, God, we release love in this place to everybody here and on site, to everybody that's watching online, to anybody listening to a podcast. We receive your love. We receive your grace. We say yes and amen. We line up with it. We're not going to sow discord between you and us, God. And Lord, we just thank you that today is a day that you have made full of love for us, no matter what the circumstances look like. And we cast down every imagination, every vanity that exalts itself, that tells us that we're not loved. God, we take every thought captive today, place it against the obedience of your word. And if it doesn't say God loves me, therefore, then we know that it's from the enemy and we cast it down today. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.